The Read More, Read Well podcast, your help and encouragement on your reading journey. Welcome to the Read More, Read Well podcast. I'm your host, Janelle Lewandowski. I have with me Well Read Moms Executive Director, Nicole Bagnacki. And today we're thrilled to be interviewing Mr. Joseph Pierce. A native of England, Mr. Pierce is the internationally acclaimed author of many books, which include bestsellers such as The Quest for Shakespeare and Tolkien, Man and Myth. He has hosted television series about Shakespeare on EWTN and has also written and presented documentaries on EWTN on the Catholicism of the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. His verse drama, Death Comes for the War Poets, was performed off-Broadway to critical acclaim. Mr. Pierce is now Director of Book Publishing at the Augustan Institute and Editor of the St. Austin Review, Series Editor of the Ignatius Critical Editions, Senior Instructor with Homeschool Connections, and Senior Contributor at the Imaginative Conservative. I'll just note here that you can find out more about Joseph Pierce on his website, jpiercepearce.co. Mr. Pierce, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It's a true delight to have this conversation with you, given your tremendous experience writing and publishing. And so I thought we'll just start with an, an easy question. A lot of the women that read along with us may be newer to developing their reading practice. And occasionally we'll have a book that is a um, common, well-known book that women already have a copy of. And the women might be a little surprised that we're recommending a particular edition and often that edition would cost more than the one that they already own. And so there's a question, is this worth buying a different book? So the first question we have for you is just if you can explain why there are different editions of books. Yes, indeed. In actual fact, probably the best way I can do that is to explain the genesis of the Ignatius Critical Editions, which is the series which I've been editing now for probably at least 15 years, uh, about 16 or 17 years, in fact. We have 27 titles now in the series. So the, th this series came out of an experience I had teaching literature at Ave Maria University. I was teaching a course on romanticism, and as part of that course, I... Um, set uh, for my students uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and Wuthering Heights uh, by Emily Bronte and I, I was horrified to discover that the actual text that I'd put into the hands of my students contained uh, all of the modern and postmodern nonsense we'd expect, uh, queer theory, radical feminism, anti-Christianity, Marxism um, and I thought why am I patronizing these series that basically poison the minds of uh, those who who purchase them and why am I putting them into the hands of my impressionable students? So I said to Father Fezio, who was a colleague of mine at uh, Ave Maria University at the time, we should launch a series of critical editions similar to the Norton critical editions, which will have uh, an introduction to the work and a, a selection of critical essays appended at the back and a, and a new gloss to, to the text. The text would be un, untouched, the, the full text. So, but instead of being full of this poisonous um, uh, modern and postmodern nonsense, it would be full of traditional-oriented criticism, uh, the sort of criticism which we would have seen up until about 50 or 60 years ago. So um, we've sent out a call for papers to Catholic and Protestant and just traditional-oriented 
literary critics around the country and got a series of very, very good essays. And so he began to publish uh, the Ignatius Critical Edition. So if you don't want to be affronted uh, by, by nonsense at best and, quite frankly, offensive nonsense at worst, then you need to be sure that the, the editions you're buying are reliable and tradition-oriented. The Ignatius Critical Editions are guaranteed that that's what you'll be getting. So in your experience, what makes a good edition? You talked about that the text is as untouched as possible. And yeah, that... if, if, if a work is, is, is good enough to, to, to warrant a critical edition being published of it, obviously it's a classic work in one sense or another. Uh, it's not for us to start adulterating that by the editing or, 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 or cutting. We take it in its entirety and its, in its integrity um, and treat it as such with, with, with the respect that, that a classic work literally deserves. So the Ignatius Critical Editions always have the complete unabridged text. Um, the the gloss, so the the, the the annotation of the text will be there just to um, make uh, the meaning of the text perhaps easier for modern readers. Some of these classic texts, of course, are, are centuries old. And if we don't understand context, we don't necessarily understand the text either. So that's what the footnotes are for, is to give that necessary context. But we don't tamper with the text itself. So you're saying if people bought a different edition, they might inadvertently buy a book that doesn't have all the original text. Yes, indeed. In fact, these days it's becoming quite common to start doctoring and editing texts to make them um, uh, serve the, uh, the, the spirit of the age and, and, and to remove anything which the current age considers to be offensive. And of course, that's, that's very dangerous because once you start taking things out of a work that you consider to be offensive, where's it going to stop and who's going to stop it? Can you tell us more about the Ignatius Press Critical Editions? You talked a little bit about why they were started, how many are in the series, how many do you intend? Is that a work in progress? Yes, it's very much a work in progress. So we, we have 27 published. We have um, another uh, five, uh, actually six now in the works. So, um, yes, it's an ongoing series. And uh, I, I mean, obviously, there are hundreds of classical, classic works of literature uh, out there. Um, so there's no end to the ones we could publish. We've only scratched the surface. surface. So we published seven Shakespeare plays. We published three Jane Austen. So some of my own preferences are creeping through here, perhaps. But, um, you know, the oldest, we, we, we published Constellation of Philosophy by Boethius and Augustine's Confessions. And then the most recent, most uh, so far, uh, takes us right through to the end of the 19th century with Dracula. And Dracula is what we're reading right now. I'm, this is my first time reading it. I'm only about maybe 100 pages in, but I can't believe how helpful the footnotes are. And I think if I did not have these footnotes, I would really not be understanding. <laughs> I mean, I'd have the basic storyline, but just more of the context of what was happening in in the culture and society. It's super helpful. So I, I'm appreciating that quite a bit. If, um, you know, if an edition of a book hasn't been brought into print through the Ignatius Critical Edition, what might women be aware of? What should they look for then if they are reading a different edition? How do you pick a good edition of a book? Well, generally speaking, if, if, if you're reading a work that's not in the Ignatius Critical Edition series, and of course, there's only 27 so far that are, so there'll be many books being read that aren't, uh, I normally advise you, you you've actually buy uh, the cheapest edition you can because that normally then just, apart from saving you money, it uh, also only has the text and not too much extra material. And it's the extra material that normally conveys the poison. Uh, 
So why pay extra for, for poison? You may as well just have the basic text and not much else. So you're buying a, one of these uh, cheap editions that, that various publishers are producing now. Um, and uh, that's, that's my advice normally. Uh, obviously, the Ignatius Creek editions, we do what we can to keep the price down. Uh, but I'm certainly hoping that, that people would be willing to pay a little extra for something which is good and solid and, and, and uh, Catholic and Christian friendly. And they're beautiful books, too. Mm -hmm. Now that I have a, a handful of them, I like to sit them on the shelf together. They really are pretty. One of the things that we've noticed with some of the books that we've read in the past is that um, we've sort of seen this interesting cultural dynamic come into the interpretation of the literature that we're reading. So, for example, we read The Tenet of Wildfell Hall last year, and we noticed that there was a New York Times post put out that kind of presented that novel in more of a feministic light than we would have read here at Well Read Mom. And so as we're kind of like looking into different literature that we're going to be reading in the future, it's very nice to be able to have a trusted source that we can kind of go to to kind of like make sure that we're reaching the root of the intent of the novel that we're reading and that we're presenting it without that sort of skewed vision. Have you noticed that in some of the work that you've been doing? Yes, it's absolutely the, the key to this. It's what, it's what I call the term I've sort of come up with for it's authorialism, uh, that we have to respect the authority of the author, which means we should try to read a work through the eyes of the author as far as possible. That allows us to see it um, uh, as, as close to first of the truth of what it is as it's possible to get, because apart from God, who obviously knows everything, apart from God, the, the author knows more about a, a, a work than anybody else. So we should respect the author's authority. So my book, for instance, on Shakespeare, or one of my books on Shakespeare, is called Through Shakespeare's Eyes, Seeing the Catholic Presence in the Plays. And, and the thesis is simple, that if we want to understand Shakespeare's plays as, 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 as closely as possible, we need to be as close as possible to the author of Shakespeare's plays. We need to see the plays as far as possible through Shakespeare's own eyes. So if we're reading a work of literature, we need to, to, to see it through, through those eyes. So for instance, the, the very uh, fashionable feminist spin on Jane Austen uh, completely ignores who Jane Austen was and what Jane Austen believed. In fact, one of the reasons that Wuthering Heights uh, was one of the first to be published um, was that uh, Emily Bronte was a parson's daughter. She was quite clearly uh, a devout Christian for the, the, the entirety of her relatively short life. Um, and she certainly was, did not hold the beliefs that modern critics have imposed upon her. Um, and, and so you know, one thing I've done in my introduction to that edition is to expose the nonsense of modern criticism and to show that Emily Bronte was a devout believing Christian and that her work is therefore reflective of that and it doesn't reflect 21st century mores where, of which she would have known nothing and if she, and insofar as she did know them she would have been horrified by them. Well thank you for your time today it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you My so pleasure. much. Thanks for having me God bless you. Did you like what you heard today? For more information about Well Read Mom and joining a group near you, visit our website at wellreadmom.com. Well Read Mom groups are forming now. We make it easy to grow in friendship by sharing great books and literature. 